Hello. Welcome to Self Worst. This is a podcast about failure, day jobs, bad habits, mental health, and the fleeting sense of sanity, worth, and dignity that we all chase under capitalism. Each week, musicians, losers, designers, artists, dirtbags, comedians, actors, fuck-ups, scholars, crazies, veterans, sluts, commies, weirdos, activists, addicts, teachers, fatties, queers, and all other types of beautiful people, join me, Brad Pearson, in a discussion of what to do with this stupid, sacred life. Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you want to confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on Self-Worst Hi everyone. Alright. How we doing this week? It is really windy outside. I don't know if the mic is picking that up. It's a dark and stormy night. It's just windy. Uh, I think the hatch is going to blow off of our roof again. You know, the little the little fire escape hatch thing to get up to the roof in every New York apartment. Ours just has just a piece of plywood up on top of it that likes to just blow off and fling all the way across the roof and we have to go up and grab it and pull it back down. It's great. Um, so, looking forward to doing that. Uh, this week... We're talking to Nika Lamazzo. She is one half of the podcast Best Mistakes, which I've talked about uh, on this show before. I've brought it up, I don't know, in some minisode. I don't remember. Um, it's a great, it's a great podcast. It's it's if you like this, you would like, you would like Best Mistakes. Uh, Nika and her friend Anya Voles, they both talk about. Uh, failure and uh, historical failures, personal failures. They check in and do like a fuck up of the week, you know, uh, macro and micro scale failures. So you see how it might be in the same spirit as this show, right? You get it. You get why I want to have both of them on. So the plan is hopefully we're going to uh, uh, have, well, we have Nika. That already happened. That's done. That's in the can. You're about to listen to that. And we're going to have Anya on at some point. Anya on the podcast. On Young. Little Arrested Development reference for you. Ugh. Anyway, and then I want to have them both on. I want to have them both on to represent the podcast. I have a whole plan in the works, is what I'm saying. Um... It was really great having Nika on the show. I think this interview went really well. I was looking forward to speaking with her. Um, she She's seen some shit. She has seen the darkness. For sure. And, uh, you know, most of my guests, I think that's why I want to have them on. Because they've seen it. And they want to talk about it. Not all of my guests have seen the darkness. And that's okay. Honestly, good for them. 
But sometimes I'm talking to somebody on the show and I, I don't even know at first and, and I'll have them on and by the close to the end of the interview, I'm like, oh, you haven't, you haven't seen the darkness. You don't know. But that's rare. And again, good for, good for them. Some of my favorite people haven't seen it, have not seen the darkness. And I hope to keep it that way. I've seen it. I don't recommend it. It's bad. But if you have, you gotta just deal with it. I, I don't see it right now. It's I'm actually doing pretty well. I'm having a good week. I'm having a pretty good month. I don't know. On all things considered, the state of the world considered, you know, uh, a year into the pandemic, notwithstanding. What are you going to do about all that shit? But just the parts of my life that I actually have some control over. You know, just living emotional states, daily mood. Pretty good for me. You know, it's all relative. In any case, uh... Let me get to plugs, and then we'll go into the episode. How about that? So, first, patreon.com slash selfworst. You know, this episode is brought to you by you, the listener. Uh, please sponsor an artist, a guy with a shitty day job. Uh, help me out, if you can. And, uh, you know, uh, check out check out uh, 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 Nika's work, Nika and Anya's work. Check out Best Mistakes. Um, it's great. Let's just uh, let's go to the interview, shall we? Let's go to that part of the episode. Enough of this. Enough of this. See you on the other side. everybody uh you've probably heard in the intro my whole preamble i'm gonna record a you know a, another uh intro to all of this but just in case you skipped all of that i am now sitting down with nika lamazzo uh she is one half of the podcast best mistakes which if you like this podcast you probably will like best mistakes it's a very similar spirit uh hi nika how you doing Good. How are you? Doing good. Uh, you know, just had a, a fairly normal day outside. I'm dog walking. Um, the weather is better than it has been in the last couple of weeks. So that's been a bit of a relief. I don't know. Uh, just, you know, just random. Sh Here's the energy I'm bringing into the day. We just watched the <laughs> second half of the, uh, the, the Mia Farrow, the, uh, Woody Allen, Mia Farrow doc. So that's fucking uh... harrowing. But, on the lighter side, we, I just, I just was looking at the tweet of Andrew Yang talking about being on a Bronx, Bronx bound a train. And that's just, I, eh. that guy's Twitter account is just, it's just fucking comedy gold. It's just, he's so oh. unself-aware and it's just beautiful. I love it. <laughs> he is very unself-aware. Um, so let's start kind of like at the beginning, you know, origin story and, uh, give us a little bit of a you know, sampling of uh, what what brought you into fruition, who you are. 
Oh, all right. Um, so let's see, where do I even begin? Um, so I'm from Providence, Rhode Island. Um, it's where I was born and raised. Um, I, let's see, I, my origin story. Um, I don't know. I was a pretty loud, flamboyant faggot for most of my life who was in Catholic school and then was also in theater. So just, you know, that kind of like gives you a concrete image of the kind of person I was in my youth. Um, I traveled for a bit for like six months after I graduated from high school in 2013. Um, and then I moved to New York. Um, I went to college in New York for two years at the new school. Um, and in between my two years at the new school, I, I, um, I spent part of um, that period of like traveling in between my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college, I spent part of it in Brazil. Um, and so I studied abroad in Brazil um, during the fall semester of my sophomore year of college. So 20, 15. Um, and that is where I came out as trans um, during like my last two weeks in Brazil. Um, and then I came back to New York um, and was back for a semester. And so this was early 2016. And then I went home for the summer, which ended up being a decision that would like wildly change the course of my life for the next three years. Um, I went home for the summer thinking that I was just going home for the summer. Um, I, you know, had just come out. I was going through a lot emotionally. I wanted to be with my close friends and just go to the beach and to live with my parents and just have like, a fun, chaotic summer that like didn't involve being in New York. Um, and like a month into that summer, I got kicked out of my dad's house and um, he told me that he wasn't paying for my tuition anymore at the new school, um, which whatever. Um, what uh, precipitated I, that him kicking you out? Um, there was just a lot of moodiness and tension and, um, there's just a lot going on between us that summer. And I mean, obviously a lot of it was magnified by the fact that I had just come out as trans. I was on hormones. So that's like, you know, pretty intense emotionally place to be emotional place to be in. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I think just a lot of different factors, um, came to a head and that was the story. And we, we like eventually made up and, you know, we, we speak now and we made up a few months after the fact, but um, the idea of me going back to school in New York was off the table. Um, and I was, I'm, I'm a pretty late bloomer maturity wise, um, which is funny because people have always told me I'm an old soul, which, may be true like i'm i can hang out with I, I i always hang out with older people and i carry my own but when it comes to taking care of myself i was a pretty late bloomer so when my dad was like yeah i'm not paying for your tuition anymore instead of like 
being like a normal 21 year old and being like, well, fuck that. I'm just going to move back to New York and get a job and go wait tables. I was like, well, I guess my life is over. Um, cause I don't know how to pay my rent or my bills or take care of myself. Who the fuck is going to, who's going to help me? You can't live um, in New York unless you have a degree from the new school. You have to complete school to live in New York. Not even the new school. It's just in my place. Cause I was a brat. There was no way that I've envisioned being able to um, pay my way in New York. I had never had more than a part-time job. Um, so it just kind of didn't really, instead of doing the normal thing of being like, well, I'm just going to go back to New York and live my life. I was like, well, I'm stuck in Rhode Island. I'm back in my hometown. This sucks. Um, and so the first year was pretty miserable. Um, and then my second summer in Rhode Island, I met some new people and was like, okay, you know what? Maybe like this is actually where I'm supposed to be. Like maybe, maybe the universe brought me back to my hometown for a reason. Maybe I need to make the best of it and just stay here. And so I started um, getting active in like some light organizing work. Um, and like realized I was good at it, realized I really liked it. Um, and my best friend who was um, running for city council was like, why don't you run for office? And I was like, I have no interest in doing that. I'm not a politician. And she was like, I think you should run for office. And I was like, fuck no. Long story short, I ended up running for office. <laughs> um, I ran for state rep for like six months. Um, and so this was like 2017, 2018. Um, I did that, I ended up dropping out and working on like two other campaigns for city council and state senate. Um, and basically just spent like the next year and a half working in local politics, um, like as an organizer. Um, and then like at the same time was also beginning to do stand up in New York because I knew people like in the comedy scene in New York who were booking me on their shows every once in a while. So I would like, I would come into the city like, you know, on a bi-monthly basis um, and do a show at like UCB or, you know, a show here or a show there. Not frequent, but frequent enough that I was like, oh, I should go back to New York. I should move back. Um, so I finally did. I moved back in February of 2020. So last year, right before the pandemic. Good timing. Um, yeah, great timing. Um, and now I'm here. And now I am just another Brooklyn-based comedian, um, which is not as glamorous during the pandemic as it may have felt when the world was actually open. Right. Um, and that's it. So that's my story. Just pretty much like a lot of um, a lot of chaos. Yeah. And then in 26 years of life, <laughs> you um, yeah, you uh, you talked about the run for office, I believe, in the pilot episode of your podcast. And it was quite yeah. uh, it was quite a doozy. 
Um, I don't know if you want to go more into that, um, but it, it was really, it was a story. Like it was, it was a real, uh, it was, it turned out to be a real shit storm as it turns out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they can't, yeah, it was a shit storm. And like the campaign itself wasn't really the shit storm. It was everything else that was happening behind the scenes. Um, yeah, I mean, so I decided to run for state rep and I, um, I was 22 at the time, um, and like AOC had just won, Danica Rome, who is a trans woman and like a member of the West Virginia General Assembly, had just won. Um, so you know, it was like it was like that that year where like a lot of young people and right. like young marginalized women were like running for office and winning, um, and. I, I've like always been pretty political. I've always been really interested in politics and uh, local organizing, et cetera. So like, I wasn't really, um, I wasn't like stepping into an environment that I wasn't like equipped for mentally and emotionally. Um, and so it didn't feel like this, it didn't feel as crazy to me as it sounds to people when I'm like, yeah, I ran for state rep when I was 22. Like people are like, oh, what? Right. And I'm like, yeah, I just ran for state rep. It was normal. Um, so I decided to run, I ran against um, uh, John Lombardi, who um, was the city councilman in the neighborhood that I ran in for like 25 years. Then he ran for state rep. He was also city council president at one point, interim mayor at one point for a year. He's like in his 60s. He's been around forever. And my family knows him really well because I, I ran in, I moved to and then ran in the neighborhood that my family had lived in for like, I don't know, a little under a hundred years. Like they had come off the boat from Italy and stayed right. in that neighborhood. Um, so yeah, I decided to run and it was like pretty exploratory at first. I like didn't really, I had like reasons I wanted to run. One of the reasons was that I wanted to see the Transpanic defense taken off of the law books in the state of Rhode Island, which the Transpanic defense is a defense that is used. Um, it used to be the call, it used to be called the gay panic and now it's the Transpanic because it's generally used in trans hate crimes now, but it's like what they used for Matthew Shepard's death. Um, and also Gwen Arujo's death, she was a Latinx trans woman um, or like trans girl, she was 17, who was killed in the early 2000s. Um, but it's a law that basically says if you, um, if you have sex with, uh, say you have sex with a trans woman and then you kill her, you can plead that you, um, that it was trans panic, that you, uh, had been misled about what that person's actual gender was. Oh and then because you were tricked or you were duped, it sent you into such like a state of duress that you went into self-defense mode and uh, committed an act of violence. That is the that most percent. insane shit I've ever, like, I mean, that the fact that that is even like close to the law books, I've had some like pretty intense post-nut clarity, but like that is just like, come on. That like to murder well, somebody, like... Dude. <laughs> well, what's even like crazier about it is that it exists in 48 states. Um, so Rhode Island, so I, I ran really wanting, that was like the, 
that was like the main issue. So it was that. And then the other issue that I was running on was housing affordability in Rhode Island. I like really wanted to see um, non-owner occupied um, buildings capped. So like that just, uh, I'm sure you know what that means, but I'll just explain for yeah. anyone listening. Who if doesn't. the person who owns the building doesn't live there, they can only charge so much. Right? They can only charge so much and then it, there can only be a certain number of people who can even do that. Um, Cause you know, it's that that's basically what's happening in all major cities right now is that people, you know, landlords are buying up buildings, but they're not living in them. They don't even live in the state. Sometimes it's an investment property yeah. and then it can be used as an Airbnb or et cetera, you know, and then it obviously devastates the housing market. Um, for low income people. And my hometown has been like rapidly gentrified in the last 10 years, but like really in the last six, it's become like unrecognizable from the city that I grew up in, um, which like at first was welcome because, you know, it like brought renewed sense of activity, but that's how it always happens. Um, and then pretty soon, like people couldn't afford to live like in, a, you know, in neighborhoods that they had normally been able to live in. Um, like I have friends in Providence, Rhode Island right now who pay more rent than I do in Ridgewood, Queens. What? Which is, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, housing affordability, the trans panic defense, those were like my two main things. Yeah. Um, and then like the general vibe of my campaign was that I just like wanted to get young like young people in my age group, like involved in politics. And so I was like, well, if I run, then maybe this will inspire like people who are in their twenties and who feel like disenfranchised and feel like it's a rigged system because it is a rigged system. But, you know, maybe it'll make them realize that like on some level you do have a pretty strong impact in local politics, especially in a state like Rhode Island, if you get involved. So I ran. Um, but like, I did not think that anybody was going to take me seriously. Um, I just thought I would make a splash and then I would drop out, get my state rep to do the things I wanted him to do and, you know, kind of be like a community li like liaison, right. um, be his, you know, just chirp in his ear. Um, but that's like not what happened. And suddenly people were taking me very seriously. There were definitely people who were like, she's a dumb bitch, but there were a lot of people who were taking me seriously um, to an extent that like I had people who had like worked in city politics since the eighties, like trying to work on my campaign. And I obviously like, I'm not dumb. I know why they were taking me seriously and it's because I was the first trans candidate in the state of Rhode Island and not only was I the first trans candidate I was also like a pretty white trans girl who like speaks well and I'm articulate and you know I tick all the boxes of like the kind of trans person that's going to make cis people feel comfortable while also still having the clout that comes with being a trans person running for office in a progressive environment right um and uh, I mean, yeah, that's I, like, that's a, a liberals like inclusivity wet dream. Yeah. Um, so at like the same time as that's happening behind the scenes, I'm also like dealing with a mental health crisis and I'm like dealing with a like a, a coke problem and I'm dealing with like not I 
I'm like not paying my rent and I'm like hiding it from my roommates and like my landlord and like I'm like living this like double life so it's like I'm going to like fundraisers during the day and like schmoozing with people and then like going and doing blow at like an after party until like eight in the morning and then like going to the fundraiser again at 12 you know just like a like just a hamster on a wheel um and I like just didn't know how to get off um eventually I did get off um when like the lid you know blew off and when was that what um, did what did that look like what was the what was the like my landlord just contacted my parents essentially because they um (laughs) they weren't on the like I was on the lease and I was responsible for the rent but they were my emergency contact so eventually after like four months of trying to hunt me down he because I'm like a master of avoidance um he just called my parents and were like hey your daughter hasn't paid her rent in four months like I don't know what to like how much did you owe I think like three or four thousand dollars. Okay, um, so that's not like yeah. a horrible amount, but that's a, that's enough. That's enough to just be yeah. Like... Mind you, I was like also trying to get caught. Like the whole time, I was like, right. It was like the really... Walter White thing. You wanted it to stop on on some level. Yeah, I was like, please, I'm begging you. Like, someone call my parents and tell them. Like, Jesus Christ, how does no one? I was like getting like increasingly angrier with the fact that nobody was like aware like when when everyone when all of my close friends found out they were like shocked and I was like I don't I know I'm a good liar but like Jesus Christ how are you guys this daft about like what was going on like you couldn't tell that I was like spiraling out of control it, it was just like I I really was like begging someone to find out all right it's like Laura um, Palmer or something yeah um and so that was it. And then I just, I, you know, I like made a statement about, I was, you know, a, a journalist Facebook messaged me, Dan McGowan, who writes for the Boston Globe now and was like, hey, people are like starting to talk about the fact that you've been like pretty inactive for the last three months. Um, you're, you haven't been fundraising. You haven't like made a single post, you know, a Facebook post. You haven't done an interview. Are you dropping out of the race? Um, and I was like, yeah, I am. And he was like, great, give me your statement and I'll run it so that you can get ahead of it. What so did I, like, that feel like? Was that was that just like a big like relief? Was like like that moment of just like finally letting go of it? It was a relief. It was a disappointment. It was a lot of things because I was like, you know, I I truly could have kept running after all of that. Like after my parents bailed me out, I could have kept going. Like there, no one on my team was like, you should drop out. They were like, well, just whatever all right keep going it's um, not like but, there's other politicians there there aren't any politicians with like a coke problem and mental health problems like i think that yeah. probably describes a lot of them actually yeah absolutely um yeah and i but i was like you know i'm not gonna waste people's time my heart isn't in it and like also i don't want to be a state rep like i don't want to be in office for four years i want to move back to new york like this is not what i want to do um, and I also was like, you know, I, it, my like, uh, thought process was like, I am like not in a good place in my life right now. And I'm, I know I would win this race, but I'm not going to put my like thousands of constituents through like my own ma- like fucking mania right. for like, an, because like ego, 
like I'll just drop out and I'll swallow my pride. Um, so I dropped out and then I ended up working on like my mentor Sid McKenna's campaign for city council and like another person's campaign. And I, I worked on like four different campaigns for like the next like four to six months. Um, so I didn't really go away. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, and that was it. And then, um, and then I just like stopped kind of working, um, working in politics, um, and decided to pivot back towards, you know, getting ready to move to New York. And so that was like the last, you know, the last year of me living in Rhode Island was me just working and getting ready to move here. And that was it. So it was like a pretty short political chapter. Right. But I mean, it was crazy because you were, you were how old? 22, 22, 22, 23. You were 22. You had just transitioned. <laughs> you were in the throes of uh, like a manic spell plus cocaine plus, uh, from what <laughs> I understand, the 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 uh, hormones when you first transition, the the testosterone blocker and the and the estrogen is like a really crazy. It's a hell of a drug in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, and you know, there's. I don't know what the term is. I've heard the term transilla, like in the first, like, like bridezilla well, almost. Like it's, like, a... it's like the first, you know, mental adjustment to all of that is just like, can make people like a little bit erratic in the first year or so. Yeah. So that's like... Yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely all intense. I mean, I just kept moving. Like when I look back, I'm like, wow, from when I graduated high school, I just kept going. Like it was like one big life decision after another, after another, after another. And I really like had no time to just breathe. And I like, I realized that while I was running for state rep, I was like, I feel like I'm like drowning and this is not conducive to a uh, like healthy lifestyle. Like I need to slow it the fuck down. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of went like MIA. I like deleted my Instagram for a year and like got off Twitter and wasn't really hanging out with the same people anymore in my hometown. Definitely like spiraled like even harder for like another year and then uh, went to AA for like six months and got medicated for bipolar disorder mm -hmm. um, and like spent a really intense year in therapy. And that all brought me to um, New York. And now I'm like, I don't even like recognize that kind of like lifestyle. Like I'm like, I just, I have calmed down. I'm still chaotic, but like I calmed down so much more. And now mm -hmm. I like really appreciate just chilling the fuck out yeah it's important you have to do it i mean i i'm maybe on like a little far on the other end where like i maybe chill too much to where mm -hmm. like you're i think 10 years younger than me and i think you've lived more than me <laughs> like you have more xp you have a like just like higher armor class all of that stuff it's just higher it's just you, you've done more shit it's so, all like, mental illness, baby. <laughs> that's, I mean, you know, look, it's a hell of a propeller. I don't know. Like, I, I mean, it, it either pushes you for better or worse uh, and, and hauls you through shit you don't want to be doing, or it just ties you like a stone in a lake and you just sink yeah. to the bottom, you know, and you just fucking don't do anything. And then like years go by and you're like, what happened? You know, so yeah. you, you get one or the other and they both kind of suck. 
in their own way. Um, oh, absolutely. So let's talk about um, drugs for a minute. Um, so you you had a drug problem and 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 you got treatments. From what I understand, you're you're not fully sober now, right? No. So like, and this, I hope this doesn't sound like I'm you know, uh, uh, judging or whatever. Cause I, I'm not, but like the prevailing wisdom, the conventional wisdom is that you have a drug problem and you stop and that's it. And you, it's very, mm-hmm. most, uh, people who go through that kind of thing, like, a like AA or seek treatment for it or whatever, it's very like mm-hmm. black and white. It's very yeah. like, you know, you're, you're done. And then that's a chapter of your life and you're done with it. Um, I do know a few people who have like managed to just like reel it in a bit, but can you talk a little bit about like what changed and how you've been able to just, um, you know, I guess like get a grip on it? Yeah. I mean, what changed really was just that I spent six months in, um, you know, AA in an environment where I was, um, where like I had a structure um, and like a safe space to talk to other people who identified as being addicts or having a, you know an addictive personality or you know addictive traits, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I don't know, it like it worked for me, and um, there was there wasn't like a there wasn't a moment where I was like, I'm going to start using again. Um, it didn't like happen like that. It was like more gradual. And was there a moment when you were like, I'm done, I'm sober, I'm not going to do this anymore? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I like still remember where I was drinking warm shitty tequila at like nine in the morning in someone's apartment, chain smoking cigarettes. And like, I remember getting home and like laying in bed and being like, we are never having a night like this again. Um, and and like my therapist had been suggesting checking out AA. So finally I was like, I'm gonna go. Um, and it was great. I think AA was awesome. I mean, I always say that AA helped me develop a healthier relationship with substances. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I know to a sober person who's like hardcore sober, I'm sure I sound like someone who like relapsed and like needs help and isn't being honest with themselves. And that's fine. Like people can think whatever they want to think. I don't really give a fuck what anyone thinks about like my personal journey. Um, I just personally had a problem with AA where I reached a point where I felt that AA and the AA community doesn't actually treat anything. Nothing is treated in AA. AA is simply, you go in, you say, yes, I have a problem with substances, substances. And the only way that I can fix this is to be sober forever. And what I found was happening was that instead of, after I hit like month three, instead of staying in it because I wanted to continue being sober. I stayed in it because it turned into like a, like a numbers game. Like, oh, how many, like, oh, I have this many weeks now. I have this many months now. Like I can, I want to get that chip. And it, 
it became, I just found that like a lot of the people that I was with in AA replaced uh, an addiction to substances with an addiction to being sober. And it like the, the trauma and the mental illness and the experiences that all brought us there were never really discussed. And if they were, they were kind of like byproducts of the larger issue, which is that you're born an addict. And I personally like don't believe that. I don't really think that anyone's born an addict. Um, I think I was born bipolar. I think I was born, you know, queer. I don't think I was born an addict. I think that, and like half of, you know, half of the psychology field will agree with me here. So I'm not like talking out of my ass. I know that as much, but it, you know, I think that for a lot of people and at, at least for me, my issue with addiction at that time stemmed from the fact that I wasn't dealing with my trauma and I wasn't dealing with the, the traumatic experiences that I faced from like dropping out of college, losing my community, coming out as trans, like all of these things at the same time, getting bottom surgery, like all of these really intense experiences on top of being bipolar and unmedicated. Yeah, that lends you to be indulgent and then you're doing drugs all the time. Not everyone, but a lot of us. Um, and I had this moment where I accidentally, I was, I was, um, when I was sober, I was like still microdosing on psychedelics, which like a lot of sober people will do I've depending on. Yeah. So there was a, there was a night where I was, you know, tripping on shrooms with um, some friends and somebody handed me um, a cell. We were all drinking seltzers, not hard seltzers, just seltzers. Right. And as I was talking to a friend, somebody put their hand out with a seltzer and I thought it was mine. And I took like a big gulp and right when I swallowed it, realized that there was vodka in it. And I started like hyperventilating and like sobbing and was like waiting for like the world to cave in. And then I woke up in the morning and I was like, wait a minute, I feel fine. Like, I feel fine. Nothing, right. there's nothing wrong with what just happened. And so from then, I, from then on, it was like a slow process where I started slowly introducing substances substances back into my life um, over the court, you know, over like a few month period and was, you know, very honest with myself and very like aware of my relationship with drugs and alcohol. Um, and happy to report that a year and a half later, I have never been in a situation like that again, you know, I've never, I, I've a year, you know, in the, in the year and a half that I've been doing drugs and drinking again, I've, I have yet to have an experience where I feel like I am out of control. Right. Um, I feel very in control. Um, I feel like I have impulse control now. And I think that's cause I am on meds, um, which is what I needed to be on. Like, I don't think it was a drug problem. I think it was a mental health issue that was exasperated by a substance abuse problem. Yeah. But I don't think that's the same as having a drug, you know, being a drug addict. And I right. have drug addicts in my family. So like, yeah. I'm, I'm hyper aware of the difference. Um, and that doesn't mean that like, I don't um, remain hypervigilant because I know that like, I love drugs and maybe right. I like love them more than most people. Um, but I just, I don't know. I think like, as long as you're like self-aware and you're honest with yourself, it's really like no one's business as to whether 
or not you want to reintroduce something into your life that at one point was toxic for you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that, that's been my journey. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I've had, I mean, I've heard similar experiences of people who, you know, cause I, I, I guess I want to like have it out as a disclaimer that like, if you are listening to this and you're a sober person, you know, I, I think that Nika's experience is her own and yeah, uh, like that's, absolutely. but, um, you know, I think you're right on when you make a distinction between a mental health crisis and an addiction crisis, because I mean, addiction technically is a mental health issue, but it's a very separate one from something like bipolar, which yeah. is a really intense mental illness. Um, that, you know, that, that, that has its own whole set of things. And, you know, even in my own experiences with, I mean, anxiety and depression, um, there have been points in my life where I have had very unhealthy relationships with drugs, booze, sex, whatever, um, and have like had to take stock and think like, oh my God, like, am I a drug addict? Am I a sex addict? Am I like, what am I doing with this? But like, had to step back from it for a while and just think like, no, you were just like severely depressed yeah. during that time. And you were seeking anything that could pull you out of it, that could get you to like, forget about it for a second. Yeah. You know, so like, and the drugs or the, the alcohol or the sex, uh, that was uh that was just sort of second uh i don't know uh second priority almost like it it didn't really matter what it was it was just whatever i could do to fill the void you know yeah um absolutely so that's yeah. a really yeah that's an interesting approach and like i've heard you know i know a couple other people who have sworn off alcohol and other drugs except for psychedelics because i think that they mm. it's a different kind of thing and i think that they uh you know they use it in a different kind of way like they don't use it to get fucked up they use it to reach insights or whatever um so it's like i guess that's different for them but i don't know yeah you know i I think it's kind of a cop out to be honest in a lot of ways. Cause I was saying that shit too. I just think people need to like fucking do whatever they want to do. It's like, mm. uh, I, you kind of get pressured into saying those things. I think like by the sober, you know, by like sober people in your life. Cause it's like, you know, because psychedelics are considered like spiritual, your sober friends, at least in my experience, my sober friends were like fine supporting me doing psychedelics. Right. Cause I was like looking inward and, I'm like, I'm experiencing right, something. Right, all that like Sedona bullshit. Like, yeah, and it's like, no, babe, I was just doing acid to have fun because I wasn't doing coke anymore. Because yeah, like, acid's fun. Like, yeah, it's want? like, and so, uh, yeah, it's... um. It can kind of be both, honestly. You can have a profound experience in the middle of, you yeah. know, just like having fun on a psychedelic drug. Like, it's... And you can fine. have a profound experience on any drug to be, you know, it's like, what out? It's just... um. Yeah. I don't know. There's like a, there's just like a weird sanctimonious um, environment mm. that uh, has been like kind of fostered in a lot of 
AA and NA circles that I just don't really jive with. And I mean, the person who created AA was like a very religious Catholic white guy who has now been like almost wholly, like AA itself has been almost wholly discredited by like the medical community, like the ways in which it treats people. Cause it doesn't really treat again, like the issue. And that was my problem. And again, I'm not smearing AA because I'm very thankful. For right. It, I mean, I, just... I know people who swear by it and I know people who are sober who haven't ever set a foot in a meeting, you know, so like it, yeah. it's it's whatever works. And also people who like choose to get sober just because they wanted to and not because they had a problem. Like, you know, it's such a vast, there's such like a, a like a vast uh, array of people who decide to kind of like recalibrate their relationship to drugs and booze and um yeah but it's definitely something I think about a lot just because like you know I have spent a lot of time in the past like talking about identifying as an addict and it's just not something that I identify as anymore um and I think that's okay like I think people should have the space to go in and out of identities did you have like friends in the sober community? What what was their reaction to you going back? I don't really know what their reaction was because I didn't ask. I um I and I didn't ask for that reason because I just I didn't really I didn't care um like how they felt because it felt really personal to me. Um and I have one friend in my hometown. We were in AA together. We're both bipolar and we both left AA at the same time separately and started like, you know, drinking and doing drugs again. And we both have the same um, kind of like philosophy regarding our mental health and both feel like we are grateful for AA. We think it was great, but we realized that like our issue was mental health and being bipolar. And we feel like we have a healthy relationship with drugs and booze now, whatever the fuck that means. And we don't need to be um, sober. So like I have, you know, the very few of those relationships. Um, I don't really know how everyone else feels. They also follow me on Instagram. They all view my stories where I like post about, you know, post memes about doing Coke. So. Uh, I'm sure they have their thoughts. Um, I don't know. I I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that they're not judging me harshly, because um, I I was in like a pretty cool AA group of like you know young queer people. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I have no idea. What are your favorite drugs? Coke for sure. Coke for sure. Yeah. Uppers. I love uppers. Coke, mm-hmm. uh, Molly, um, acid. Um, yeah, Coke, Molly and acid are definitely my three favorites. Those are fun. I've only, I've only done Coke a handful of times and it's been like more than like five years, but every time I was just like, Oh, I like this a lot. And all I want to do is more of it. So that's telling me to maybe not fuck with this. (laughs) That was, was, it like set a bell off in my head that was just like, "Mm, I don't know if you want to, I don't know if you want to continue with this one. It's maybe like a little too much for you. Um, no, I mean, I, that's, yeah, that, that's Coke, unfortunately. And like, you have to be careful with it. You know, I like, I have my own rules now for when I do Coke, like I won't do it past a certain hour. Um, you know, I, I will only do it in certain environments. 
um, for the most part. But yeah, I don't know. But I mean, I love all any drug I've ever tried. I've liked. I like drugs. I like to party, um, and I. I'm, I'm pretty indulgent and I enjoy being indulgent. And like, as long as like my rent is paid on time, yeah. I have money in my checking account. I have some money in my savings. My like, as long as like, as long as I'm taking care of myself, which I do at this point in my life, right. I'm totally you're fine. You're sleeping, with, you're hydrating, you're eating. Yeah. You know? And I'm totally fine with going off the rails, you know, twice a week and staying up and doing drugs with my friends. Like it was just, you know, before I, when, when I was young, when I was 21, 22, 23 years old and very immature, I wasn't able to do those things. You know, I, I wasn't able to balance partying hard with also taking care of myself. Um, and now I'm able to do that. And that is, feels pretty great to me. So I, I feel, um, I feel like very secure for the most part about where I am. I still have my own like kind of shame complexes about partying. Um, but I know that that's like not my voice. It's like a voice that's been put right. in my head. Right. Those are fun. Yeah. I don't know. Like I've done woefully little, like too little acid. Like I have not, I it's, it's a thing that I realized I, I did it for the first time, like not even that long ago. And was just like, yeah. where has this shit been all my life? Uh, and you know, it's I, so much fun. it's the best. It's so great. And it's, it was such a, like, People build it up to be this experience like it's, I mean, the way it's depicted in media is so fucking stupid and like, like the spiraling colors and all the like, like yeah. weird Beatles fucking like yellow submarine psychedelia yeah. shit like that, that stupid scene from Easy Rider. Like, it's just also like far off from what the experience really is. You got that if you do like you know multiple tabs. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I guess. I guess I haven't. I. I did one. No, I'm agreeing with you. I think you know, it's so like, silly. It's yeah. like if you do a tab of acid, you just feel like you're really high, and like I. I feel like everything just tingles, and that's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah. It just. It, it just like I had just sort of a different perception of everything that was going on. It was like I felt like yeah. I had a like new interesting insight into like everything around me and it just felt like i was just like happy we were just laughing it was just like me and yeah. me and my boys we were just like <laughs> you know it was great it was so fun um and my my uh here's my joe rogan stock question you ever done dmt oh my god no but um me and anya are doing dmt for the first time on her birthday this month hell and yeah so excited that's very exciting okay cool yeah, yeah i've i've wanted to i i like had it all set to go and then like the the connect like you know blew me off or whatever so it just it didn't uh, happen but like well, i was I have like a connect for you all right okay well we'll you know we'll talk later um yeah i'll send i'll send you the info <laughs> so yeah um i you know i of course like don't super know you but like uh you know the impression that i get from you that i really like the most is that you live really unapologetically and you live like very much your own authentic self. You know, you're, you're very, you. Uh, you have a whole segment on your podcast that's dedicated to your hot takes. Right. And yeah. you just like <laughs> are able to just shoot from the hip and just say what you're going to say and accept people's judgments and accept people's, you know, uh, not liking of you. Um, if yeah. that's what happens, which is a really cool thing. And that's a hard thing, you know, that 
I've had a lot of difficulty with as a deeply insecure person, just like wanting everybody, like desperately wanting everybody to like me, even though that is just not possible. And I don't, I don't even like most people. So why do I want, you know, why do I want everybody to like me? It's just absurd. Ego. Ego. It's I all ego. It but listen, I get it because I come off as being like deeply unapologetic. And I know that I come off as, and I always have as being someone that's like, I don't give a fuck who likes me. Like, fuck you and fuck you. I'm going to say whatever I want. And it's like, that's true. But there's also a deeply insecure side of me that when people don't like me and I like them, I'm like, oh, oh my God. Like what? Like it like rips me up. It's just that like I... Both like both sides of me exist, and I, they're kind of in constant conflict with each other. Um, so it's like, yeah, I don't care if people like me. Um, I kind of just I if someone doesn't like me, I want someone not to like me for the right reasons. Mm. I want them to not like me because they got to know me, and they're like, she's not for me. I don't want them not. I have like a big, I have very big um, issues with like controlling my my the image that I put out. Um, so it's like, I don't, I don't care if you don't like me, but the idea of you not liking me for something that's not actually true about me drives right. me insane. Um, but I just think like the way to get over feeling, you know, insecure is to just kind of be like, I, I try to live like really fearlessly and I just, I, I feel like the more that I say whatever the fuck I feel, in ways that aren't like inherently disrespectful of people's feelings, but like, you know, the more honest I am and like the more unapologetic I am, the more I like will con like, the more I'll like reach that like kind of pinnacle of like being act like fully that person. Um, you know, it's kind of like fake it till you make it a little bit, hmm. I think. You think, yeah, I mean, yeah, who, who even, because uh, I'm a big softy, so. but I come I come off as being like a, at least online I think I give off a vibe that I'm a little bit um, a lot tougher than I really am. Same, yeah. No, if you if you read my Twitter, I'm just like constant, like I'm just like a complete asshole, and I'm calling people a pussy all the time. But like I'm I'm just like oh yeah. I'm a little bitch. I'm just like a big softy. So like yeah. it's just you know like I'm that's deeply emotional. Yeah, yeah, same. Very emotional. I'm a very emotional guy. I spent all day walking around listening to Bright Eyes today just because it was like a gloomy yeah. day. You know. Sometimes you got to do that. Um, how do you deal with conflict with confrontation? Um, depends on the context and like in the ways in which it's happening. If it's like person to person conflict, like in we're in the same physical space. I'm pretty good at dealing with it because um, I'm I'm pretty aggressive, um, and I, I like to just kind of deal with things in the moment. But if um, I like if it's if it's not happening in person, then I'll I'll avoid it because I'm pretty avoidant at the same time. Um, yeah, like I'm. I wouldn't say that I repress things a lot, but I definitely, um, I definitely like keep them at, you know, like a deep enough, like beneath the surface that like, 
I don't really have to deal with them until I feel like dealing with those emotions. But like, I mean, I'm Italian American from the Northeast and grew up in a very conflict heavy family. So if I have to throw down um, emotionally, I can. But I mean, I'm, I don't like me personally, I don't feel like I am involved in conflicts that often. Like, cause I like really live my life in a way where I try to give people so much grace and space for fucking up because that's how I would want to be treated. Um, that it really, t- like I have a very long fuse. It takes me a really long time to reach a point where I'm like, now this is a conflict and we need to like, you know, ha- have it out. Um, yeah, cause I, I, I like to check in a lot with like the people in my life. So I think that, I think if you're checking in a lot about emotions and feelings yeah. and then it, that, um, that allows you to avoid conflict because conflict sucks. Conflict sucks. Yeah. And I don't like it either. Like I am not a confrontational guy and I think people maybe misread me as such because Mm. I'm a smart ass and because I like to roast people and because I will always have some sort of like uh, a a quip or like a, a, a mean sort of thing to say, but I rarely actually want to hurt the person with that like if anything i'll roast you if i like you and i think some people maybe think that i am more i don't know uh uh angry or volatile than i really am just because of my tone yeah no i get that i mean i had an experience recently where someone that I liked was like, oh, actually I don't like her. Um, like a mutual friend that I had met. And I was like really sad about it. And so I reached out and like messaged her and was like, hey, we're adults. And like, I don't really, can we just like talk? Like if I offended you, I'm so sorry. Anyway, long story short, we made up. And when they were apologizing in person, they were like, and listen, like if what I said about you, like hurt your feelings, I really didn't mean to. And I was like, well, you did. Like you did hurt my feelings. I accept your apology, but yes, you actually fully made me feel bad. Um, And they were like shocked. Like the look on their face was like, like they were registering like, oh, I made this girl feel bad. And I think that like they didn't realize like how soft I am and that they were expecting that I would kind of be like uh, more aggressive and bitch and be like, no, you didn't fucking hurt my feelings. And I was like, you know, maybe when I was 21, I would have said that, but like at 26 now, like I don't, I, I want to live my life with relationships where I'm being genuine and honest. And I think like being vulnerable is so much better than being caught up in constant conflict. Um, so yeah, like you did hurt my feelings. Now let's move on. Give me a hug. Right. <laughs> that's yeah. It. I mean, that's yeah. the best way of, uh, you know, on the occasions when I have had to face uh, when I've hurt someone, when I've done something shitty and they actually call me out on it to my face. Um, I mean, I've totally done both things where I'm just like defensive about it and just like, well, okay, well, fuck you. Like, you know, but like I try to not and just be like, okay, like they're not saying you're a shitty person. They're saying you did something shitty. And now yeah, is your exactly. ch- like them saying that is them giving you a chance to uh, to fix that 
you know, to rectify that. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. We're like, you know, the more sensitive you are, the more defensive you are, yeah. in my opinion. So it's it's like a lifelong process, I think, of learning how to not react in those ways. Do you believe in rock bottom? Is that a thing that you think is like an actual oh, thing? Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. But I think there are layers to rock bottom. I don't think like you ever really, um, I don't think you, from experience, I don't think that you know you're in rock bottom until you have come out of rock bottom. And then you're like, oh, that, that was rock bottom. Cause I definitely had multiple, this is my rock bottom moments. And then my actual rock bottom when like the fucking, like the, just the bottom fell out. Right. I was like, oh no, this is my rock bottom. Right. Okay. But yeah, I believe in rock bottom. It's like all those memes of the person, you know, like a person sneaking up on someone else. And it's like, this is my yeah. rock bottom. And it's like actual rock bottoms, like right behind yeah. them. Yeah. I don't, what, what would you say uh, was your actual rock bottom? Was it the campaign? Was it, was it something else? No. Um, it was definitely long after the campaign. I would say that my rock bottom... Um, my rock bottom was probably like the, uh, I would say my rock bottom was like the months that followed after I was date raped. Um, and, um, and that even like the months leading up, the events leading up to me being date raped were the rock bottom as well. Um, and that's why I went to AA. I like truly went in with like my hands in the air and was like, Jesus, take the wheel. Cause I can't do this anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, date raped and then like, you know, a few weeks later, like got into a bar fight and then the next night broke my tooth and then from blacking out and then like got kicked out of another apartment for not paying my rent. And then like another friendship blew, like all of these things kept happening because I just kept the, the more, like every time something worse happened, I would just triple or like quadruple my alcohol intake and would just like was just drinking my like weight in fucking vodka and doing surely my, like, more booze will help this situation yeah you know booze and coke baby you know that's it um and yeah i mean i would say that was my rock bottom for sure um yeah that's rough i mean i mean you know i don't feel like uh i don't like feel sad when i talk about it i like get right. embarrassed sometimes and i'm like yikes but, but um if anything i'm like well now you're here and you're not in that place anymore so like good for you girl go off queen right well um now we have come to uh a, a big portion of the show which is uh mental health corner we've already touched on it a little bit um, you've talked about being bipolar. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about just like, uh, your experience with going into therapy and, um, getting diagnosed and maybe like, you know, we, any, anything related to that, uh, drugs, treatments, um, whatever it is that you are using to manage it. Yeah. Um, so, well, I started going to therapy when I was 18, um, and saw that therapist for like a year. Then I wasn't in therapy for a while. Then I went back to therapy when I moved home. 
saw that therapist, ghosted her, started seeing another therapist like a year later, saw her for about six months, ghosted her. She was the first one to suggest that I might be bipolar. Um, and I like was not really ready to deal with it. So I stopped seeing her. Um, then and I didn't go to therapy. therapist left and right. That's amazing. Yeah, but I mean, I also had like some shitty therapists. Like the first therapist I ghosted was terrible and should not have like a medical license, to be honest. I told her that I was thinking of killing myself and she told me to get a uh, Himalayan pink salt lamp. <laughs> so... Okay, but did you? I mean, did it? Uh, no, instead I just stopped seeing her. Okay. Um... Yeah, so goes to two therapists, and then I like wasn't in therapy for a long time, and then um, after a few months after I got raped is when I went back to therapy. Um, found my therapist Melissa, who is fucking amazing. Um, miss her, and was like that was the first time where I was like okay, hi, I'm in therapy. Here's what I want out of it. Um, by the way, Melissa, I lie to all of my therapists. I'm really sneaky. Like, here here are all of my character defects. Please call me out and help me fix them. Because up until that point, I'd just been using therapy in a way that I think a lot of people use therapy, which is I'm going to go to therapy, but I'm not really going to be honest. I'm not going to open up completely but I'm just gonna go and that's that's enough, which I think it is like in the beginning, you know, it's like ripping the bandaid off of actually going. But by the time I saw Melissa, I was like, things need to change. So I started seeing her, she like immediately, she and a psychiatrist immediately diagnosed me as having bipolar two. Um, I got sober, I went on my meds um, and I was on, um, 400 milligrams of trileptol for a year, which is an antipsychotic. Um, and I actually just stopped taking it. So I've been off of, me I've been off meds for two months now and I'm starting my new meds tomorrow. Okay. Um, starting a Billify. I've heard uh, of that one. Yeah, I, I have That's not That's an antidepressant, really... isn't it? Well, it, no, it's also an antipsychotic, mm. but I think they use it off brand as an antidepressant. Um, I'm going to see how it works. I'm, I've kind of reached a point where I don't really know that I want to be on meds anymore. Um, like I tried it out just to see what it was like. Um, so we're going to see, um, how that goes. Um, yeah. What were the, uh, the effects and maybe like the side effects of, of the, um, of the meds? The only side effect that I had from trileptol was like not even a side effect. It was a plus, which was that it made me um, tired at night. Oh, well, there so, you go. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh, great. Uh, trileptol is like very, 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 very mild. So it doesn't really do a ton. It's It mostly is for people who um, struggle with mania more than depression. Um like when I'm depressed, I'm depressed, but I'm not depressed as often as I'm hypomanic. Right. Um, and so like, it basically kept me manic, but like dialed it down like five notches. Um, so like when I'm manic and I'm on my meds, I don't feel like I'm gonna crawl, literally like crawl out of my skin. Like I'm in like a fucking meat suit. I just am like, oh, I'm manic, but things are fine. Um, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that was the only side effect. What is that? I don't know if I've ever honestly experienced anything close to hypomania. Like, what does that feel like other than feeling like you crawl out? Like, when you, like, first thing when you wake up in the morning, is that when it sets in or does it, like, kind of build through the day? Um, it varies, but generally it, like, will, uh, I usually notice it at, like, night. I'll, I'll usually, like, I'll usually, if I'm like really energetic and I'm like buzzing um, and I have no reason to be buzzing like that, now like, you know, this many years into understanding my mental illness, I'm able to be like, oh, I'm manic right now. Um, Don't know when that happened. Um, And it's usually triggered by something, um, whether that be not getting enough sleep, getting too much sleep, drinking too much coffee, doing drugs. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't know. It's just kind of like someone turns on a light in the room. Right. For, for me. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm manic. I've heard um, people. Whereas depression, it usually takes me out. A... I'm sorry, go on. Oh, no, it's okay. I guess there was a lag. I was just going to say that, um, like, when I'm depressed, it takes me, like, a few days until I'm, like, oh, I'm depressed. Right. Whereas with mania, I, like, I know right away. But I didn't always. Before I got medicated, I wouldn't realize that I was manic until, like, three days in. Right. Which I've, sucks. I've heard people describe mania and hypomania a couple of ways now. Um some people describe it as very unpleasant. Like it's like, yeah, it's like you're saying it's like a buzzing, like a, uh, wanting to like crawl out of your skin. I've heard other people describe it as like, they feel for a while, like they're fucking just like great. Like they're inspired. They're on cloud nine. Everything is genius. And they're just like, let's fucking go, you know? And like, it's almost, and I know people who have medicated from it. Uh, and they're, they'll tell me that they honestly miss the mania sometimes because they'll like, it's just like, you know, it's, well, it's they should like, go and tell up doll. Yeah. There are meds that like, you can just ask to be put on. If you're, if you just say like, Hey, I'm bipolar, but I don't want my mania to go away. I just want it to be controlled. Hmm. And that's why they, that's what I said. And they were like, great, we'll put you on trilepdol. Hmm. Um, yeah. Cause like, I definitely, um, I feel like the mania sucks when I don't, when I like can't do anything about it. Um, like if I can't like go hang out with a friend or I, you know, if I'm like stuck at home and I'm manic, like that's fucking horrible. But if I'm manic and I can like go out and go to a friend's apartment and like blow off steam and like get fun, doing that for a few hours is enough for me to not feel like I am uh, going absolutely insane. Right. How do you um, do with managing self-confidence and, um, and, and, and just sort of, I don't know, to use a really annoying term, self-love? Um, is, is validation something that you need to seek externally or is it something that you can kind of find from within? I think it's a mix of both for sure. Um, I definitely... I rely heavily on my interpersonal relationships for external validation. 
Um, not in a way where I, I need you to tell me how much I mean to you or I need you to compliment me all the time, but just spending quality time with me is like a really big, um, it's a, it's a, it's very affirming and that makes me feel confident. Um, but no, I think I'm also like definitely able to, um, I feel like my, my confidence relies on, um, feeling independent. If I don't feel independent and I totally independent, like if I, if I can't financially provide for myself and, you know, all of like the basic human things that all the, you know, the kind of like ideas of like, what, what is, what is dignity? Like, you know, when we kind of talk about capitalism, right. how undignified we force people to, to live um, in this country. Like, I, I struggled a lot in my early 20s with feeling like the biggest fucking loser because my parents were constantly helping me out with my rent and helping me pay my bills and I couldn't even keep like my cell phone bill paid and I couldn't hold down a job. Um, and so I don't feel that way now. Now, again, like my, my confidence comes from those things of just being able to take care of myself. But also, um, yeah, from, from my friends and... Um, I don't know, for for me, like uh, loving myself is definitely, um, I love myself by loving other people. Um, and I, and by like loving other people that I feel safe with and that I trust. Cause I, I, I really enjoy being a caretaker like emotionally um, and like being there for people that I care about. And like, I'm a big, words of affirmation person like I really like to uh, you know tell people how I feel about them constantly um so being able to do that makes me feel good about myself hmm. if that makes sense it does it does make sense um on that note in the pandemic uh so far as like money finances and and uh you know providing for yourself how has that been I like have oddly had the most money in my savings account that I have had in my entire life. Um, unemployment really pulled through. Um, my rent is cheap by New York standards. Um, I don't have a lot of expenses. You know, I'm on Medicaid. Um, my cell phone bill is like 50 bucks a month. My rent is like, you know, a few hundred under a thousand. Um, like my, my expenses are like Netflix, Hulu, <laughs> besides rent, Netflix, Hulu, groceries, right. and drugs. drugs. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> those are my expenses. So I've, I've been really fortunate. And then I'm also an OnlyFans, so I'm making money that way. Well, there you go. Um, what, I'm curious about this whole experience of, of being, uh, you know, on OnlyFans and uh, like, I, I haven't really talked to anybody about it. Um, what's it, what's it like? What's it entail? Um, I mean, you know, it's a case by case basis for everyone. For me, it's like, it's pretty chill. Um, you know, it's, it takes a while to build a following and like a clientele of people who keep coming back and you're always kind of dipping, you know, you or you're always losing subscribers and then making right. them back. And then you kind of retain the same loyal following. Um, it's like any other job, honestly, like it's, it's any other, any other job where you're working for yourself. Um, 
I don't really like to romanticize it. I don't like to pretend like, oh, it's so empowering. Right. It's more empowering. Not that, because I think sex work is empowering. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think that it's, I don't think sex work is any more empowering than uh, any other way to make money under capitalism. Right. It's a job. Um, it's a job. Yeah. I'm like this, I post hole to pay my bills and that's it. Um, yeah, that's been the experience. And then, you know, there's obviously the like, the fear of how is this impacting my career? How is this impacting uh, me getting booked on shows, me getting staffed as a writer, et cetera. Um, but I think that that's honestly all changing right now in real time. Yeah. We're seeing more and more people, like everyone's on OnlyFans now and everyone's doing some kind of online sex work. If not, I'd probably do it if I felt work. like anybody actually wanted to look at me naked. <laughs> I'm sure they would. I thought the same thing. Everybody wants to see someone naked. True. Everyone's horny and has a little bit of money to spend. Um, is there, do you find yourself feeling uh, like a internalized, you know, stigma, shame, like with like, you know, what are, what are people back home going to think? What's my family going to think? Anything like that? I mean, my mom knows and both of my sisters know. I'm so I, I definitely sometimes I'm like, oh, what would my dad think? But also I'm like, well, I am 26 years old and I pay my own bills, so I don't really give a fuck. Um, I definitely don't have any kind of shame about like what would people back home think? Um, like I, it kind of makes me laugh. Um, but I yeah, I mean, I definitely have my shame spirals a few times a month where I'm like, I'm a whore. And not in the empowered way. Who's ever going to want to bring me home to meet their mom? I'm a fucking slut pig. Um, ew. I'm disgusting. Um, but that, like, lasts for about 10 minutes. And then I remember that, like, I paid for my $400 highlights by posting photos of my pussy on OnlyFans. And then I say, thank you, subscribers. So it goes away pretty quickly. Fucking A. All right. Well, um, is there anything else that you wanted to uh, touch on or, or talk about? Like, I, I, I'm, you know, uh, I don't know. Like, this this is this has been really cool. But, like, I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to, to bring up. No, I think we've um, hit the mark. And I mean, we're going to talk again. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for our listeners, hopefully what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, we're doing sort of a, a speaker box love below kind of uh, divided album with with Nika and Anya doing one solo episode each. And then we want to bring them together for like a Stangonia episode where they're both on here. Um, so, you know, uh, that's that's all, you know. Uh, to be determined. But uh, in the meantime, um, where can people find you and, uh, and and your work and all of that shit? You can find me on the Instagram and the Twitter at Nika, N-I-K-A Lomazzo, L-O-M-A-Z-Z-O. You can also subscribe to my OnlyFans for only $7 a month. It's at Nika Zara, Z-H-A-R-A. Um, and those are... Oh, and then I guess, you know, um, uh, mine and Anya's podcast, which we talked about best mistakes, that's on everything, Spotify, et cetera, if you guys want to listen. Um, and that's all I have to plug. 
So thank you. Right on. It's a really, uh, it's a really outstanding podcast. It's, it's, it's thank become you. one of my favorites. Like, um, since oh, thank the, you so much. It's, it's, it's truly great. Like since the inception, I've, I've just, thank I've you. really eaten up every episode. So this was great. Um, and uh, thank you so much for for talking. Oh, we'll, thank you we'll so talk much again for having soon. me. Yeah, this was really fun. Thank you once again to Nika Lamazzo for being on the show. Go check her work out. Go check out, go check out Best Mistakes. Go check out that OnlyFans. Give her some money. Help her pay those bills, all right? It's a pandemic. We're all struggling. And you're alone in your apartment. What are you going to do? Seems like OnlyFans is a good way to support the arts and, you know, address the other thing. Right? Two birds. So, go do that. Um, again, patreon.com slash selfworst if you want to help me out. Uh, I'm not currently posting whole, but I'm not opposed to it. If you want to DM me on Instagram or whatever, we can arrange something. Selfworst at gmail.com. That's fine. We'll talk about it. I'm down for whatever. Music is by Shea Bartel. Check him and his workout. And, uh, what else? That's about it, I think. Unless I just forgot something. Oh, uh, my socials. Follow me on Insta and Twitter at Bradical Pearson. Follow the show at Self Worst. On, uh, on just on Instagram I don't have a Twitter for the show it doesn't need one just if you want to know about the brand and the attitude of the show follow me on Twitter and follow the show on, on what I said uh, nobody's listening anymore this is the end of the episode what are you even still doing here you waiting for me to say the tagline at the end of the episode I'm going to tease that out. I'm going to make you wait for it. I'm going to think if I have anything else to say before I say the last thing. Which is... I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time, go out and fail. It's good for you. Bye.